So this was just, uh, you know, Luke 10, and then just kind of think about, this was a, um, um, you could say a trailer the apostles would have after Jesus had ascended into heaven. So they're experiencing just going out, not having anything but to rely on the Lord, you know. And uh, so after, after he ascended into heaven, you know, what, what did they have to fulfill this commandment? Go out to all the world and tell the good news. They had no horses. They had nowhere to get around. So imagine you're just stuck in the middle of, I don't know, Pennsylvania and Lancaster, you know, and all right, go to the other side of the state and start preaching. You don't have anything. So just, just at least to begin to settle into that, what did that mean for them? What did it mean for their mind? What did it mean for their hearts? What did it mean for their body? To do this. So the agenda, what was the agenda? What was the mission? To bring the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. They had no idea that America existed. Remember, people thought the earth was flat later on. So what was, you know, it was probably, they were thinking the Roman Empire. They had no idea. And what's beautiful is that God had the, God knew. We have no idea what God has in store for each one of us. But we can be assured it's going to be fantastic. And many people will benefit because God is the God of life, the God of abundance. He's not the God of scarcity, stinginess, worries, anxiety. None of that. That's not, that's not the Lord God. That's not Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. So what resources do they have? All right, they got the Great Commission. So bishops, they have bishops. They had 11 minus 1, or 12 minus 1, 11. So priests, how many priests do they have? They had 12. Actually, they had 11, just checking you. Did it, deacons, they didn't have any transitional deacons. We have a transitional deacon in our community. No transitional deacons. They had no deacons. How about trained theologians, at least? Zilch. How about religious orders? None. Seminarians, zilch. Seminaries, what's a seminary? None. Christian believers, a few hundred. Countries with Christians in them. Well, it wasn't really a country, but one, the Holy Land. Church buildings, nothing. Schools and universities, hospitals, nothing. How about the written gospels, the New Testament? Nothing. Money, very little. Experiences of foreign missions, nothing. Influential contacts in high places. How about the societal attitude toward them? Ignorant and very, you could say, very hostile. That's what they were dealing with. And that's where they began. And they did not begin with worries. They began with great confidence. Why, um, 
how is it that the apostles weren't discouraged? Because I think they really, truly believed that Christ was with them. And they had a message. And they were convicted with that message. Look at the church today. A lot of hand-wringing. You know, things are not as good as it used to be. My dad continually says, Oh, Scott, growing up the 50s, it was the best. Churches were packed. You know, and I can't imagine what Philadelphia must have been like in the 50s, but even in the 70s, it was packed. But the lot of Henry, there's not as many people going to Mass, less marriages, less funerals, less baptisms. You know, even today, young couples, they're, they're a couple. When they can get married. What? What are you talking about? So a lot of the hand-wringing comes, I think, from a mentality of living in the past. That is, there's this uh, book I'm reading that's called uh, From Christendom to Apostolic Age. What's the difference? What's the difference between, what's a Christendom world? The Christendom world is a world where all the laws and everything, like, jive really well with the gospel. So there are guardrails on society. You know, before, when I was growing up, Father Peter, you know, we, divorce, I mean, I maybe had three friends at that. Their parents were divorced. And today, it's, it's, it's really commonplace. The laws back then were, were more, you could say, enforcing gospel truth. Now it isn't. So it, it's, it, this, this hand-wringing, therefore, is, is trying to live as if we lived in Christendom. And why isn't things, why aren't they still good? My kids don't go to church any longer. I mean, that is a, I mean, talk about hand-wringing. I mean, they've worn their skin off their hands. The parents, that where did we fail? What happened? And it's, it's that simple. We are not in a Christ Christendom age. We are in a post-Christian age. But we, therefore, we are in an apostolic age. And until we firmly believe that and actually say, okay, this is where I live. This is where I've been born. Thank God I'm born now. Because, you know, we didn't get to choose. God wanted me now. And that's for a reason why he wanted me now in this age. And that is to bear witness. And as soon as we begin to, to understand that I'm going to experience an exhilaration in my faith when I live according to the apostolic mindset and not, toward the Christ, not leaning toward the Christendom mindset, of Christendom, everything, well, everything just works and everything is just Christ-centered. And what? That's, a, that's a big deal. That's really important. You know, we might even say, argue, like, had I lived in the time of the apostles, had I seen Jesus, my faith would be rock solid. I would be like, you know, yeah. If Jesus were to appear to me, no problem. They, they had it easier. Let's put it this way. It wasn't until they were able to live 
what we live today, meaning the sacraments, it wasn't until then that things really began to move forward. Until they had the sacramental life that we have. When Jesus was no longer there. When they didn't see Jesus. They saw one another. They lived the sacramental life. And they lived his word the word of God, and they began talking about it. They'd have little, little communities. They'd sit down around a fire. They'd talk about remembering Jesus, and they'd talk about the stories, and the parables. And then you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, then people started writing them down. And that's where we have the Gospels today. And then St. Paul by candlelight, as he's traveling on a ship going somewhere, he's riding to the church of Ephesus, riding to the church of Corinthians. And that's important for us to realize this. What we have is such a treasure. It's life-changing. We come to to the conviction that we are in an apostolic age and Christ is calling me individually to live accordingly to that age with that conviction. The apostles had great confidence in the message. So there's a great, the great example um, in Acts, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's chapter 2, where there's a deacon, his name is Philip, and there's an Ethiopian, so from Africa. He was up in the Holy Land. He, he was a treasurer, very influential, and he's riding this carriage, and Philip is there, and he's hearing that he's reading out loud the prophet of Isaiah. He doesn't understand. He said, do you understand what you're reading? No, I can't. I can't figure it out. Do you know anything about it? I might. Come on in. Or he probably said, hey, can I come in? Sure, yeah, come on, let's get in. And he started explaining. And I'm sure his jaw was dropped as he's explaining. He's got the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And then so much so, with so much conviction, that he stopped at this, there's a pool of water, maybe a puddle, maybe it was a mud puddle. Hey, what's preventing me from being baptized right now? Nothing. Come on out, we'll baptize you. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, wow. And then Philip disappeared and kept on going. He was so excited to share the word, to share the gift of baptism. When were you baptized? You remember? That's, your, that's, that's the birthday. You're born to eternal life. January 15th, 1967, two weeks after. So if you don't know yours, maybe uh, ask your grandma, your mom or whatever, mom and dad, and see when you were baptized. So Timothy, this morning we, you know, today's Timothy and Titus. And this morning we read uh, that, uh, you know, Paul said to him, I remind you to stir into flame the gift that God has given you that was through the imposition of my hands. For God did not give you a spirit of cowardice. God doesn't make chicken livers. You're like, he gives the strength and vitality to be men who want to bring the gospel 
And therefore, he's inviting us to change our mentality from the Christendom mentality to an apostolic and not hold on to yesteryear. So, Timothy. Timothy was in an apostolic age. You know, we're looking at um, the stats in the church. There's always stats. There are plenty of stats. Um, you could live your, you could finish your, live the rest of your life just reading stats. These are the stats. So, um, and you could say, well, that's how it's going to be. These are the trends. Our vanguard guys here. All right, you know, we're going to vanguard. All right, these are the trends. This is how it's going. All right, sell, sell, buy, buy. Now, don't, you know, so you're coaching all these. What do I do? What do I do? You know, stay put, be calm, giving that assurance that it's all going to be okay. You know, we all want to know that really in the end. We want, it's all going to be okay. So, but, you know, these stats are all negative. No priests, no nuns, everything's going down this way. So I, I was reading this book. It was interesting. It said here... Uh, in France, after the French Revolution, which was a very, very bloody revolution, especially um, with the church, killing so many priests and nuns, um, after that, that revolution, vocations was at rock bottom in France. So it says, a sympathetic observer of the state of the French church around 1810 or 1815 would have seen nothing but wreckage. This place is a wreck. Now remember that France was called the elder daughter of the church. It was France that was a key, a key component for, for the church and her growth and protecting the church. Many saints came from France. Just amazing stuff. But anyway, so in 1808, there were 12,300 religious in all of France. Not too good, you could say, from the elder daughter of the church. <clears throat> By 1878, there were 135,000. Hmm. In 1830, there were about 3,000 priests. In 1878, there were 30,000. Hmm. Tenfold increase in 60 years. It says here their median age in 1878 was significantly younger than had been 60 years earlier. And how did this happen? The church is always new. The church is always alive. And you are alive. You are God's son. You are Jesus's brother. And he's calling you. He's calling you to live intentionally your faith now in this tough society. Yes, he is. He's not calling us to be bench warmers. Hey, come sit on my bench. I got, look at my team of bench warmers. Isn't that great? <laughs> he wants everyone in the game where, he, where his father has willed you to be from all eternity. And so in this thing here, so it's beautiful here, what happens is that the church, that they didn't sit around and say, what was me? It said, why are we Catholic? Who is Christ. I want to share him. I want to live his grace in my life. And that's how it changed. And that's how it turned around. And it's always renewing. It's always renewing because we just have that, um, 
reality, that the ebb and flow of generosity and selfishness, generosity and selfishness in our lives. The church is not static. They're great resources. It's called the sacraments. It's called the word of God. It's called all of us. We don't need a lot of ingredients. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in our midst. So it responds, therefore, the church to each situation. And the church is calling us, each one of us, to respond. We are not privileged, as I said, to pick the era where, when we live. We're living now. What is the Lord telling you in your heart? How does he want you to live? What is he calling you to change? And it's not to change to, to give up and, oh man, I love this. It's to convert and actually be free and be happy and be incredibly fulfilled. There's no greater fulfillment than living for the Lord.